Hey everyone, I'm Sinhar Eastman and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women, but is specifically dedicated to black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to forget about the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about my IVF process, the cost, the results, and the aftermath. So here's part one. What the heck is IVF and how much does it really cost? IVF is in vitro fertilization. And so I'm going to give you the exact definition that I got from the facility that I go to because I don't want anyone saying I said something that's incorrect. So I'm going to give you the medical terminology that they gave to me when I started this procedure. So in vitro fertilization is a procedure in which a doctor will remove one or more eggs from the ovaries that are then fertilized by sperm inside the embryology lab. Now that we have that out of the way, let's talk about the cost. Now, my husband is a veteran, so for us, they offered us a military discount program. That means our bill was discounted by 25%. And when I say bill, the bill is the upfront cost that you pay for the procedure. And that is $11,312.50. And that's what we paid upfront. Now, that does not include the cost of medication, all the injections, the pills, all the stuff you have to take throughout this whole process. And so that costs us about another $3,000. It also does not include genetic testing. And so when you go through the IVF process, they strongly suggest that you do genetic testing. And genetic testing detects if there's any abnormalities and or if there and if there's any specific diseases within the embryos. And that costs another which you pay directly to the genetic testing facility. Um, It also does not include lab work, ultrasounds, or sonograms. So every time I had to go to the doctor for lab work, which they do your labs, um, I'm going to get into that in the next segment, they do your labs um, every few days once you start on the injections. And so every time I went to the facility, I had to pay. Um, It also does not cover, like I said, ultrasounds or sonograms. When I had those done, I had to pay, and those are pretty hefty price tags. So with all three of those, the lab work, ultrasounds, and sonograms, that was about another $3,000. And in case you're wondering, I do have health insurance, but like most health insurance companies, if you don't know this, they do not cover fertility treatments. And so that's part of the problem. Uh, So in total, we spent close to $19,000. And again, I don't have all my receipts in front of me to give you exact dollar amounts, except for the bill that we paid up front to the uh, fertility clinic, which I had that number down to a T, uh, which was $11,312.50, which we paid up front. But again, in total, we shelled out close to or over $19,000. What happens before you can do IVF? So first we had a consultation. 
Then we did all of our lab work over again, and then they gave us a printout of several infertility therapists to go see because it's a requirement for the facility that we go to that you see a therapist first. Um, I'm not sure why they have you see a therapist. I think they're trying to see if you're crazy <laughs> or if, um, if the procedure does not work, how you're going to mentally handle it. And also, I feel like the third part of it from the questions that were asked, if you and your husband split up, what happens to the embryos? Um, and so those were pretty much the, the main things that the therapist we had access during our time there. But he also opened up about his own experience. Uh, he was a white male and he opened up about his own experience with going through infertility. Um, and he said he hadn't really told anyone until he ran into a neighbor at the facility that he was at. And then he started to tell people. Uh, but throughout the whole time I was there, I mean, my husband were there, he kept asking me, you know, so I know that you're a writer. Are you writing about this? And I said, yeah, I didn't in the beginning, but now I'm journaling about it and I'm writing a play about it. So he was really fascinated about the play. And then we would get off that subject and he would go on to ask me the technical questions he had to go through and ask on his list, that uh, a pre-written list that they, they give you to ask. And um, throughout the list, every, every now and then he would jump back to the play and how important he felt it was. And this is coming from a white guy. And he said to me, you have no idea how many black women do not talk about this issue and don't share what's going on and do not communicate with each other about what's going on. And he said, this is such a huge deal. And I'm glad that you are at the point now that you can talk about it and that you're willing to speak on what's happening to help other people. IVF pre-egg retrieval. So I hope I can make this as easy to understand as possible, especially if you know someone who's going through IVF treatment and maybe they don't want to talk about it. I'm trying to give you a little insight into what happens so you don't bombard them with questions because sometimes when you ask people too many questions, they start to become upset, which is a natural feeling. And so here's my process as I remember it. So I was on birth control pills for three weeks. They took me out the birth control pills and then they brought me in for something called the saline sonogram. And this is a test in which they use a salt solution, which is saline, and they insert it into the uterus and allows the doctors to see the lining of the uterus. Uh, right after that, uh, immediately after that, they did a procedure called the endometrial scratch. And so when they did this procedure, I didn't know what they were doing. And so I'm going to talk about that in a second. And so they did this procedure called an endometrial scratch. And so they said this helps for the embryos to implant better during the IVF treatment when they go to actually do the embryo transfer. And so what they did, um, which is what I asked after the fact, because I didn't know prior to, what they did was they inserted a, a thin catheter into my uterus and they scratched the lining of my womb. And so this was extremely, extremely painful. For what they say, it's not supposed to be that painful, uh, but I was in pain when they did it. And so immediately after, I know I went to sit up and I was trying to ask the, my doctor wasn't there that day. There was another doctor there. 
who's very, very lovely. Um, and so I was trying to ask her what this procedure was so I could explain to my husband because he was not there. He was traveling. And so as she's talking to me, I'm thinking in my mind, like, her lips aren't moving, but they were moving. I just was starting to pass out. And I never had passed out before in my entire life. And so I can see her looking at me funny. And then I just remember seeing black. And so I could feel her trying to push me back onto the table. Um, and then shortly after that, I woke up and they had stuck something under my nose. My husband would know what it's called. But they had stuck something under my nose to wake me up. And so they were giving me ginger ale and then their other nurses were coming in there giving me Snickers bars and all kind of candy to get my sugar and stuff up. And so when I left there that day, <laughs> I still didn't have an explanation of what the endometrial scratch was. I didn't learn what it was until when I went back for another visit um, because I was kind of like out of it. And so this was just supposed to be like a normal in and out thing, just a regular, you know, checkup thing. And so because I drove myself, uh, which I was fine to drive myself, they made me stay there about an extra hour and a half because this had happened. And so I remember my husband calling me, asked me if everything was okay. And I believe he was out of the country at this time. And so I said, yeah, everything was fine. Um, and because I didn't want to alarm him because there's nothing he can do. He's out of the country. And so I, when I got in the car, I remember calling my mom and then I called my sister just to tell them, hey, you know, I'm okay, but I passed out the doctor. So they were like, what the heck? And so I remember my mother telling me to, if I feel like I'm going to pass out when I drive home to pull over. And so for some reason, I thought that was funny because like, if you're going to pass out, most times you don't know you're going to pass out. Like you just pass out. So I'm like, well, how am I going to pull over if I pass out? Like, I'm just going to pass out. I'm not going to know that I passed out. But anyhow, that was my experience with the endometrial scratch. Um, and I'm told from what the doctor told me that day that it was not um, abnormal for me for people to pass out. There have been cases where people have passed out. So they weren't, you know, completely alarmed. But of course, you know, they were all scrambling because this has happened. And so... I get through that. Two weeks later, I go in for what they call a baseline ultrasound. And so during the baseline ultrasound, they check, the, they measure the lining of the uterus. Uh, they check the size of the uterus. And they also measure the number of follicles on my ovaries. And so I don't want to get too technical, um, but because it's going to be too hard to follow and understand. But the follicles um, are a sac filled with fluid where immature eggs develop. And so that's how it was explained to me. And so I had a ton of follicles. And so for them, that meant I was on the right track. So we kept moving forward. Uh, so after that, I started taking hormone injections. And so the hormone injections I was supposed to give to myself or my spouse could do it every night. And I think we picked the time at like 9 p.m. And so for the first few days of the injections, my husband was here, but then he left because he had to travel. And so then we ran into a problem because I don't like needles. And so I had to go to my sister's house, although the nurses were trying to walk me through it, trying to tell me I can do it and it's not going to be that bad. I was like, listen, I don't like needles. I can't look at them. I don't want to see them, period. It's not going to work. And so every night I was driving down to my sister's house to get these injections. And so the three things I took uh, was called Menopore, Follistem, and Ganorelix. 
And so menopore and phallostem stimulates the ovaries and then gonorrhea prevents premature ovulation. And so every night I was doing this, like I said, around 9 p.m. And so I'm at my sister's house and her son, my nephew, he's there. And so every night he's on his iPad, he's three years old. And so he's glued to his iPad and he's watching all these different cartoons and stuff. And so one night she's giving me the injections. I mean, they hurt every single night. Um, But one night she's giving me the injections. And I don't know if I made a noise. I was just like, ow, however I said it. And then he came over there and he's like, mommy, what you doing? He's like, Hari, what you doing? And he was trying to figure out what was going on because he didn't physically see anything, but he's trying to figure out why I'm making this noise and why I had my shirt up and why, you know, we're putting band-aids or what's going on. And so um, he told me, he said, Hara, come sit next to me. It's going to be all right. And so I was like, oh, I'm okay. His name is Gabriel. I was like, oh, I'm okay, Gabe. And then he was like, no, come sit with me. And then so he made me watch Jack and the Beanstalk um, with him (laughs) until I got ready to leave. And so that was uh, a pretty interesting experience because he's only three years old. And clearly he was sensitive enough to know, um, even at three, that there was something going on. And then so I stayed on the injections for about two weeks. And after that... I had to do another ultrasound. And so this time it was the same ultrasound uh, where they measure the follicles. And so this time they printed out the follicles to show me the number of follicles that I had and the sizes. And so, cause they're checking for the maturity of the follicles to make sure that everything is advancing. And so I had a number of follicles and so we were good to go. And so they tell me, hey, you're ready for the big day, which is egg retrieval day. Um, and so... Again, during this whole process, I'm trying not to go back and forth, but during this whole process, I'm taking baby aspirin, I'm taking prenatal vitamins, and I took antibiotics twice, um, which is part of, you know, the process they have you go through. And of course, during this time, I'm doing frequent doctor visits uh, for, I want to say about two weeks. I'm going in every few days, maybe every three days. They're checking more hormone levels to make sure everything's okay. And that my body's not being overstimulated by all of the hormones I'm taking. Uh, So uh, after they clear me to say that I'm ready for my egg retrieval process, they actually give you uh, a trigger shot, which is called an HCG trigger shot. And so that causes the follicles to develop even more, which causes the eggs to finish maturing. And so for me, because my body was responding a little too well to all the hormone injections, they gave me a lower dose um, medication. I didn't take the HCG. I took something else, which I don't remember what it was, but it was a lower dose uh, medication. Um, And so that uh, pretty much takes care of all the things that I remember I had to take leading up to my egg retrieval day. It's egg retrieval day, and I'm the runner-up. So on the day of the egg retrieval, I had to pick my husband up from the airport at 5 a.m. because he was flying in, and we had to be to the doctor's office, the fertility clinic, by 7 a.m. And so we had gotten there early, and we're sitting in a car, and we're having this debate about where the needle is going during this egg retrieval process, how they're going to do it. And so I said to him, they're going to stick this needle through my vagina. And, you know, I don't like needles already, so I'm having this whole thing with him about this is what they're going to do. So he's like, no, they're not going to stick a needle through your vagina. You don't know what you're talking about. And so 
When we get upstairs, uh, we checked in. They take us back right away. Uh, the nurses and a doctor comes back. Everyone's talking to me. All the other nurses at the facility come in and they're hugging me and telling me good luck. And my sister came. My sister was like, oh, my God, all these people are coming back here. She's like, you're pretty popular around here. And I said, I guess so. And so uh, when one of the nurses came back there, I said to her, I have to ask you a question. I said, during this egg retrieval process, where is this needle going? And so she says, I could tell she was a little hesitant because I could tell she didn't want me to have anxiety about it. She says, well, it's going through your vagina, but don't worry. Like, you're going to be asleep. You're not going to feel a thing. So I immediately turned to my husband. I said, I told you so. And so he says to the doctor, or to the nurse rather, he says to her, well, I thought you guys used a needle, but it went through the outside of the skin and into the ovary. And she said, well, that's something we did a long time ago. We don't do that anymore. And so after that, they take me back. Um, I'm in the room with the doctor, anesthesiologist, and I believe it was the embryologist. Um, And so we're in the back room, and then they have me sit on the table. And at the end of the table, I have this contraption where your legs hang off the table. And I have long legs, so my legs are just dangling off the table in this contraption. And so that's all I remember. When I woke up, I was in the recovery room, small recovery room, uh, with my husband and my sister. And they're talking, the nurses are talking to me, they're giving me ginger ale, and the doctor's back there, the nurses in the hallway tell me how great I did, and I'm still like wondering like what they're talking about, because I was still trying to come back to myself. And so I remember the doctor telling me, my husband um, and my sister who was sitting there, she's like, oh my God, you did so good, you had 36 eggs. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of like sluggish, I'm like, is that good? She's like, it's great. She's like, for my time being here, she's like, I only remember one other person having more eggs than you, more eggs retrieved than you. That person had 45. She, you had 36. This is amazing. We're going to do so good. This is so great. And everyone's so pumped up. You know, I'm all drowsy. So I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, so we leave there. And um, they, the nurses have to take you down in a wheelchair because uh, you just had a procedure. And, you know, you're not supposed to move around, all that stuff. So they help me get into the car. And we leave. And um, I pretty much sleep for the rest of the day. And for me, I don't know if I was sleeping because I was in pain or if I was sleeping because I hadn't slept that much the night before. Um, And so that pretty much was my egg retrieval day. Um, It was uh, in terms of the pain level. Like I said, I slept most of the day, so I don't remember how much pain I was in because I kept sleeping. I think I didn't wake up until like 5 p.m. or something. Um, But I slept uh, most of the day. And so that was my experience. It went pretty good. I was the runner-up. Post-egg retrieval and everyone is still pumped up. So they took my 36 eggs and then they took my husband's sperm and they manually inserted his sperm into my eggs. And from there, they monitor over several days. Um, It's five days they monitor and so from there, 33 fertilized, 33 of the eggs fertilized, and then they continue to monitor. So I'm getting calls um, every other day to let me know uh, what's happening, um, what's happening, what's the progress. So from 33 fertilized eggs, they dropped down to 23. Um, and then by day five, um, we end up having 15, 15 embryos. And so they take... So with the embryos, we immediately froze seven of them. 
And then the other eight, like I mentioned before, they suggest you to do genetic testing. And so with the genetic testing, uh, you get a package and the package includes testing of eight embryos and that's $2,250, which I mentioned in the very beginning in terms of price. And so we sent those eight off. Out of the eight, we had three that were normal. And so those are the three that we were going to move forward with um, one by one because my doctor only wants to insert one embryo at a time um, due to health risks. Because even if you insert one embryo, that embryo can still split off into, um, into twins, multiples. And so that's not something that she wants uh, because she wants me to have a healthy pregnancy. Uh, And so because I was taking so many hormone injections leading to the egg retrieval, my doctor was concerned about my body being overstimulated. And so there's something called ovarian hyperstimulation. And so essentially your body can become overstimulated and your ovaries can become swollen. And in rare cases, um, it can lead to death. And so they didn't want that to happen. So they wanted me to, they wanted my body to relax and they wanted to continue to monitor me to make sure that my ovaries were starting to shrink in size uh, because at the time of the actual egg retrieval, I guess they were about the size of grapefruits, um, if I can remember how they described it to me. And so um, I had to wait for my cycle to come. My cycle came, they put me back on birth control, um, and then they put me on this medication, which is an injection, more needles, put me on an injection called Lupron, uh, which I had to uh, uh, put in my stomach, inject into my stomach. And so my husband, again, was here for the first few days, and then he had to travel, he had to leave. And so uh, my sister did it for me, I want to say two or three days, and then after that, I got tired of going down to her house at night, and I just was determined that I was going to do this myself. So I did uh, the rest of those injections myself. Um, Every night, I gave myself an injection in uh, the stomach. After that, we go back through the whole process where you do the ultrasound, they measure your follicles, uh, they put me on more um, more hormones, so I'm taking estradiol tablets, um, and I'm taking progesterone oil, um, and those are to support the lining, the uterine lining. Uh, I also was on a, a medication called Medrol, which is an anti-inflammatory, and I took that uh, orally. And so um, with the estradiol, I mentioned too, that was um, that was oral medication. And so with this whole process, of course, you're still taking your um, baby aspirin and you're taking your prenatal uh, vitamins. And so uh, the progesterone oil, which is the injection that I was taking, the needle for that particular medication is extremely long. And that particular shot has to go in the upper quadrant of your butt. And again, my husband was traveling, so we ran to another problem. And so that, I was convinced that I could not give myself that shot. I was like, there's no way I can reach behind my body and give myself a shot in the upper part of my butt. It's just not going to happen. And this needle is ridiculously long. This is not going to happen. And so I was, the shot had to be given at nighttime. So uh, we were doing it at 10 p.m. And so for the first few nights, I went down to my sister's house. She did the shots. This shot hurts. And in fact, my butt is still hurting now, um, having been off the shots for, I guess, two or three weeks now, my butt is still hurting from these shots. And so I got tired of driving down there every night at 10 p.m. And so one night I just said to myself, you know what, you're going to do this. 
you're going to give yourself this shot. I went into um, our bathroom and we have a TV in our bathroom. And so I, I cut the TV on and I said, I'm just going to turn the TV up really loud. I don't know why I needed it to be loud, but I did. And so I started watching Family Feud. I'm not sure why I decided to watch Family Feud, but it was something to keep my mind distracted. And so every night I gave myself this shot and I watched Family Feud and I blasted it as high as I could. And I looked at myself in the mirror. That way I could see where I was giving my shot. And then I looked over my shoulder and I injected this long needle into my butt. And I did that every single night um, up until the time we got ready to do my actual embryo transfer. And so that's what I'm going to talk about next. Uh, But for me, I think it was important to conquer this fear, although I don't think I've conquered the fear of needles because I still hate needles. But I conquered the fear of being able to do these things on my own and not having to rely on other people to do them. I'm Sinhara Eastman. Thank you for listening to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. You can stay connected with this movement on our website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at blackgirlsguidetofertility.com and on sinhara.eastman.com.